this edition of DCS Talks, a podcast production of the Tennessee Department of Children's Services. The intention of DCS Talks is to promote dialogue among child welfare professionals, foster parents, and the entire community about ways to prevent child abuse and neglect. I'm Serena Wilson, a training manager at DCS, and I'm your host for this edition. Today I'm interviewing Michelle Ryder and Nina Horton about Child and Adolescent Needs and Strengths Assessment, or here at DCS, refer to this as the CANS Assessment, as that is the acronym. Michelle Ryder serves as a program director that has a focus on our assessments here at the department. These are formal and informal assessments, so these are the ways that we make decisions about how families receive services, about how families get help that is going to be specific to their needs. Nina Horton serves as a senior mental health consultant with Vanderbilt University Medical Center. Both Ms. Ryder and Ms. Horton are experts as they have worked as CANS consultants and trainers for many years in child welfare. The CANS is a tool that is used nationwide in children's services agencies to support decision-making about the direction a family may go and their experiences with the child welfare system. The CANS helps our agencies make decisions about where a child is placed and what services they need if they come into foster care. Ms. Ryder, Ms. Horton, welcome so much to DCLS Talk. Hi, thank you for having us. Yes, thank you for having us. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. I've had the honor of supporting the CANS training, and I've learned so much from both of you about CANS assessment tools. Can you tell me, what do we mean by assessment in child welfare? What kind of things do we look for in an assessment? Just to get started, for initial assessments, like when we first come into contact with the child and family, we're really trying to get a a basic starting point, an idea of where we're starting with them in their, their needs and their strengths. So we know how to move forward and help them to get to a better place emotionally, physically, financially, whatever the family is dealing with, the assessment will help us do that. It's a gauge, much like going to the doctor and having them do your blood pressure and weight and blood levels, all those things. So each time we redo it, we can see where we were and where we've we've moved to. That is a great analogy. Thank you for explaining that. The CANS tool, we call that a formal assessment in social work and in psychology. And we call it a formal assessment because it demonstrates reliability and validity. Can you expand on that and what we mean? So the CANS, it's been found to be valid at the item level. Each year we have to be recertified in it, we're able to study inter-rater reliability among the items. Been found, of course, when we when we're doing our annual recertifications, we're completing one on a scenario. And so inter-rater reliability on just the limited like one-page scenario, it's been found to be at least 0.75 and it'll go all the way up to when you have actual cases. Basically people are writing items in the the same way in up to nine, it can be up to 90% reliability. So it's valid, reliable at the item level. And also, of course, the CANS is used to, as you kind of mentioned, to help support decisions about placements and, and intensity of services that children may need. So it has been, obviously, across the country, it's being used for that. And it has been found to be valid 
in helping make those decisions appropriately as well. I just wanted to add to that, it's a standardized assessment. So it's all the same questions. Obviously, if I'm doing it here in Tennessee or somebody in New York or California is doing it, they're going to have the same guidance because, like Nina said, there's the, you know, you got to certified to do the assessment. There's the reliability on the item level. It takes the guesswork out of doing the assessment. It's not based on our own thoughts and feelings. As a person that is doing the assessment, it is based on the guidance that that assessment tool, the CAN, gives you in answering the questions for each item for the child. So everybody is going to have the same or very similar results on every CAN, no matter where they've done it across the country. Thank you, Ms. Ryder. It's great to know that there is a tool out there that whoever is trained to use that tool, they are using it in a similar way throughout the nation and that we are able to understand the results based on the tool being consistent. Great to know how some decisions are made and that they are made in this thoughtful, objective manner. One of the primary reasons we use the CANS assessment tool is that it is evidence-based. We use that a lot at the Department of Children's Services and in child welfare nationwide. Since both of you are assessment experts, can you talk to us about what it means when we say evidence-based? So that's really looking at when you Think of like evidence-based practice or evidence-based assessment. You're really looking at things that are identified, that there, there are strategies that are in place that have been based on, on research. And like for assessments, making sure that research and theory has been used in selecting items that are on the assessment and the processes, kind of like I mentioned, the certification and the annual recertification that, you know, that those standardized processes are in place in order to have these protocols and the ways that the assessment is being used. And then, of course, the methods. Basically, when we're doing a CANS, we're, we're looking at is this an area that needs action or, you know, that needs watched, or is there no evidence that there's a need or a strength there? And so, kind of like Michelle said, regardless of where you are across the country, that process for that assessment is the same. You know, the CANS was developed from communication theory. Basically, its goal is to help communicate the global assessment process that the workers are using to kind of get that big picture view of the child and family that they're working with, then it can be linked with those service plans. So it, it's kind of developed from that theory in order to basically do more individualized service planning. And to add to that, I just wanted to say that the communication perspective, it also, the CANS is used in a way to communicate the child's needs and strengths. And it's very important to know that, that it's not designed to be used in a vacuum that not one person fills it out. They should be gathering information from everybody that's involved with that child or family. So teachers, courts, churches, neighbors, anybody that is involved that could have information, foster parents, then they should be brought to the table to be able to help complete this assessment. I always kind of visualize it like if each person that is surrounding that child and family has a piece of a puzzle, 
in order to have a full complete puzzle, everybody needs to be able to add their piece. And so the CANS is designed to allow for that. And that's one of the processes with this assessment is to tell that family's complete story. And of course, you first have to be willing to listen to the complete story and to find it out. So for our case managers, we gather information, like you said, from this entire team around a family. And they compile that ultimately in the CANS. It looks like a questionnaire, but that case manager is, has collected all the information to use to answer those questions. Uh-huh. And before we ever started using the CAN, it had been tested and um, developed through theory, and there had been statistical analysis conducted on it. It's an ongoing process. We continue to gather that information to ensure that the CAN is a still reliable evidence-based tool. So it's an ongoing process. If I can add one thing to that, the CANS mm-hmm. was developed by Dr. John Lyons in the framework that the CANS is used in. He does see that as a mass collaboration, basically. So all of research and studies and theory, that that is an ongoing thing. It, it hasn't been something that was done once and then kind of dropped. We're always learning and growing and expanding on what we can know about using this assessments. It's neat to be part of that. It is great to be part of that. We've talked about some of the questions on the CANS. Could you tell us about some of some of the questions asked or what some of the domains are on the CANS? What are we asking that help us understand what's going on with a child or a youth? The CANS starts out, the first domain is a caregiver domain. So that's looking at whoever the department is working with, the family or Whoever is the end of that case that child's hopefully going to be having permanency with, it basically looks, are there, what's residential stability is one of them, or, you know, are there mental health needs, are there supervision, are there discipline needs? So basically it looks at all areas of functioning regarding that caregiver's ability to, or any needs and being able to take care of and parent that child. It's followed by a traumatic experiences section where we're able to communicate what traumatic experiences that young person may have had across their lifetime. Then we have a strength section. Uh, Michelle and I, we we always look at it as we don't want to just identify what's not going right. We want to look at, well, what, what are some things that we could help in this young person and building their balance and their resiliency and that we can hopefully support and build upon for that young person. There's a life functioning section that is basically looking at how are they doing in school? How's their family functioning? Uh, Are there legal issues? Are there medical issues? So basically all aspects of that child's life, how are they functioning in those areas? There's a cultural section. Because in you know in any assessment you can't forget culture and you can't forget development. So uh, there's a cultural section. Or are there needs around that child's culture? You know, not they might need an interpreter. They may be experiencing cultural stress that that they need support around. There's an emotional behavioral section that is looking at mental health areas and needs that the young person might have. And then there's a risk behavior section, behaviors that young person may be having that's either 
possible harm to themselves or other people that we need to try to work on addressing with that young person. There's different modules as well that uh, traumatic stress symptoms modules. So in one area, you communicate what experiences they've had. And in the module, you talk, you are able to communicate how are they doing? How are they adjusting to the experiences they've had? And do we need to provide supports around that? There's a delinquent behavior module. And then there's a transition to adulthood module that looks at some of those independent needs that the young person might have. Michelle, you, if I'm leaving anything out. No, I just thought while you were talking, I wanted to add that it is a standardized assessment, but at the same time, it can be very individually focused because for the domain, Sometimes kids have enough needs that it opens up those extra modules that Nina was talking about, but not every child is going to need to have questions answered on the delinquency module. So we're not just going to go and, and answer questions for the sake of answering them. If they don't have a great enough need to make that module open up and be activated, then those questions for some kids don't get answered, but for other kids it's necessary so we can get a little bit deeper into what's going on with them. Mm -hmm. Thank you both. And I know one thing when I came to the department, I was very glad that we do look at strengths. Could you maybe expand a little bit on what are some of the strengths we look at and how do we use those strengths? We look at just a couple and then Michelle, you might have a couple. One of, one of the strengths we look at is does the young person have talents and interests that are significant? They might enjoy music. And so we go beyond just naming things and identifying to look at, all right, is that a useful strength for that young person? We look at natural supports. Are there folks who are not family or not paid to be in their lives that can be that one person that can be connected and be a positive support for them? We look at cultural identity. What culture do they identify with? And is that something that obviously we would want to try to support if they have a culture? You know, a lot of kids, they are still developing and they if you have, they don't have that image of this is who I am and this is where I fit into this world but mm -hmm. if they do are, are ways we can continue to support that on the balance yeah. yeah so some of those I was just thinking to give an example for everybody you mean and I obviously you know this Serena we do a training for foster parents and we talk a lot about the strength so the child that we use an example in the training is he really loves soccer and he's thinking about trying out for the team next year when the next school year starts. That's a usable strength that he can use maybe to help him cope with whatever things he's dealing with on the needs side. So we need to foster that strength. And it's a little bit different than him just saying, I like soccer. That's a good thing that he can identify something he likes. We got to help him develop that to be a useful strength in his life. But you know, when he's identified, this is what I'd like to do with it. Those strengths can be very helpful, just like with the personal connections, those relationships with people. The example child had a youth pastor who he connected with and was going to stay connected to, and that's really useful for them to be able to move on through some of the other needs, the areas, to build their balance with me. That's a great example. Yeah. That's the beauty of this assessment is we're all human beings. And so we we may not, we're not meant to have things kind of automatic list after list after list of information in our brains, but having this standardized assessment helps prompt us of, all right, if we don't have that piece of the puzzle yet to be able to answer that, let's find out who on the team does and ask about it. So whereas if we didn't have something prompting us, we might never ask about, do you have a 
religious belief that we need to try to help support, you know, some, that's another item on the strength section. So that's the beauty of this assessment is it helps kind of structure those conversations. And if we haven't asked or found out about an area to remind us, yeah, let's go back and find that out because that's a piece of the puzzle that's missing to this big picture. It aligns with other information that we have about creating normal experiences for children in foster care helps them to heal and to build resiliency so that the CANS helps prompt us and then we can put that into a plan of action. Mm-hmm. Um, as we learn more, we're able to put that into the cans and to continually gather information about that child and family. How often do we complete a CANS, Nina, in terms of our work here at the department with a family? So when a child is first placed in custody, if the initial CANS is completed, that's kind of the beginning of, this is the snapshot at the time they're coming in of what's going on with that child and family. And then at a minimum, at least every six months that CANS is to be updated. Of course, since the CANS goes hand in hand with service plans and permanency plans for the child, any time that that's gonna be updated, the CANS should be updated. And as you mentioned, as more information is gathered, because sometimes if a child's first entering custody, you may not know as much about some of the areas. And so if significant information is found along the way before that six month mark, it can be updated at any time. Their move and placement, that would be another time that obviously the CAN should be updated to kind of uh, give the details about what's going on at that particular snapshot in time uh, with that child and family. Leaving custody is, or going on a trial home visit, anything like that, any basic transition in the case, the CAN should be updated. Unfortunately, child welfare exists to intervene on trauma that is occurring with a child. I know that, that we have the trauma module. We talked about the strengths, but could either one of you explain what some of the things are on the trauma module that we assess for? Trauma items, we're uh, rating that across the young person's lifetime. So if they've ever had experiences such as sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. There's also things in that trauma module such as have they been a a witness to violence in their home or their community or at their school? Have they witnessed criminal activity? Have they had disruptions in their caregiving? We know that these kids, the more times they move from place to place, that's that's another disruption and another attachment loss for that young person. That is indicated in that trauma module. Have they had medical trauma is another example. The child had experienced medical trauma and I'm their I'm their caregiver at the time. I would want to know that so so that I could prepare in case you know that their child might have issues uh, around medical appointments or dental appointments. So the beauty of being able to know that beforehand so that you can plan around it instead of having to react when it comes out of the blue and you didn't know valuable piece of this assessment. And I wanted to just stress what Nina said to start with the these are across, the trauma items are across the child's lifetime. Once kids, once any one of us experiences trauma, a traumatic event, it's, we can't undo that experience. So when we do the assessment and the 
child has a CANS item, a trauma item that they score on that needs some attention, they maybe can get to the place where they've done enough healing, progress, therapy to get to where that is part of their history, but it's never going to not be something they've experienced. So it'll always be a history or it'll be something that we need to work on, but it doesn't go away. So it's just very important for people completing and looking at the assessment to understand. Anyone that is familiar with the Adverse Childhood Experiences research, if you were to review the trauma section of the CANs, you would you, know, you would see a connection there with that, especially as, as that research has been expounded, which is when we talked about reliability and validity, things are in an assessment that are based on research. Oh, yeah. Do we find that many of the children or youth that come into foster care have more than one adverse childhood experience or one than one traumatic experience? Yeah, quite probably quite a few. More than one experience for I would obviously I don't have data sitting in front of me, but I would say the majority of our kids have probably one at least more than one adverse experience or traumatic experience in their lifetime. Yeah, and I would just note that the CANS is used, you know, kids who are in care due to, so, you know, social services, you know, abuse or neglect. But in Tennessee, it's also used with the juvenile justice population that is in Tennessee. And the same applies for them as well. The same questions are asked because we want the full picture regardless of how they came into custody. That's a great point. And it is based on research stating that many of the criminal behaviors of children and youth had to do with some sort of traumatic history. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm glad you brought that up. Mm -hmm. We mentioned earlier that case managers complete a CANS assessment and that information is gathered to help us make decisions about service plans and placement. Could you maybe explain to our listeners what kinds of decisions are made and what a service plan may look like? What a placement may look like in terms of child welfare? Sure. So as far as the decisions, it's used to guide all our decision-making throughout the life of a case, have a child come into custody and have no plan, no idea of what we're going to do next, or have a plan but based on no real evidence. So once they complete that assessment, then the plan for how we are going to help those kids achieve permanent, go back home or go to an adoptive family or go to a family member, that would be their permanent. So how do we get them there? We use the assessment and those needs. I don't know that we've mentioned this previously in this conversation, but we look at those actionable items, the needs on their CANS assessment that are rated a two or a three. Those are the ones we want to take a look at that need attention from us right now or need some intervention to help the child get past them. So we take those, we look at them, and those items for the child and for their caregivers needs to be addressed on what we call the permanency plan. So that is a plan every child that comes into custody gets. It's just to address the things that are needs for them, it's to address the reasons they came into custody. And there are listed people who are responsible for items to address those needs. It's the parents will have responsibilities. The child, depending on age, will have responsibilities. Definitely DCS will have responsibilities. Any kind of contract agency placement worker will have responsibilities. So we write out the need, what we're going to do about that need, and then the person who's going to be responsible for assuring that that need is addressed. So some of these needs can be addressed through therapy or through a certain type of placement, through treatment, through making sure a child goes to school every single day, you know, if they're truant all the time. Um, Depending on a child's needs and the service intensity, recommendation that comes out when we've completed the CAN, 
their placement is going to look different. Some kids really need a structured placement. They may have a service intensity of a three, but they need a lot of structure. So they might do well in a group care setting. Whereas another child has a service intensity level of a three, but because of their needs look a little bit different, they would be okay in a foster home. They just need a lot of attention in that therapeutic foster home. So there's gonna be a little variation. It all depends on the child. There's no one clear cut. This is where you get placed because this is what your CAMS level says on the outside. It's really based on those specific needs and, and strengths too that they have in that, that assessment. And then through over time, we redo those CAMS reassessments that we talked about and it shows the progress that we've made, and that progress should be reflected on the updated permanency plan. And then it'll also, at the end of custody, identify what things are needing to be addressed when the child is home so we can hopefully put services in their home with the family to help them continue to address any remaining needs. Thank you for that explanation. I know for our listeners, if you're outside of child welfare, that it's really helpful to break it down, so I really appreciate you breaking that down for our listeners. If our listeners would like to know more information about the CANS tool, could you tell us some ways or, or maybe some Google searches or where to go if they would like to know more? If you'd like to know more about the, the assessment itself kind of across the country, you can look on Praid Foundation, that's P-R-A-E-D, foundation.org and that will give you a lot of information about the kind of the framework that these assessments are under and that that framework is the TCOM which stands for Transformational Collaborative Outcomes Management and it is very much about let's collaborate and when you're in a system to try to help people transform their lives you can't do that on an island by yourself. You have to collaborate with other people. And it's always a little bit more difficult to know, kind of like Michelle said, progress and things might where we might be stuck on. The Kansas, of course, one tool in that framework of we need to be able to have something to be able to get there. And so anyway, you'll you'll see that TCOM acronym a lot. But again, that's the PraidFoundation.org, P-R-A-E-D Foundation. We also in Tennessee, we offer a quarterly provider overview training for provider agencies. We offer that for both the CANS assessment and its sister assessment that's used in the non-custody population, which is the FAST on a quarterly basis. And then we also, Michelle and I, uh, provide a quarterly foster parent overview training as well. And uh, that's open to all foster parents, with, be it DCS foster parents or provider agency foster parents or really anyone that wants to know more is more than welcome to join that as, as well. There's also a TCOM YouTube channel that folks might, mm-hmm. might want to subscribe to that uh, it, has a, it has a lot of information, uh, not only about the CANS, but again, that TCOM framework that the CANS falls under, which is really looking at person-centered care. I invite any of you all to subscribe to the TCOM YouTube channel, and you can get a lot of information that way. Oh, that's a great idea. I know that our foster parents, if they have a child or youth in their home, they are able to ask for the CANS. What are some of the things foster parents can do with that information? Um, Part of it is, one, it gives them a good picture. 
of what is going on with the child and maybe help explain, like we talk about in the training, how they're having a really defiant behavior, but it gives them an idea of maybe why that behavior is happening. And if the child is more to me, they can find out that the child is more than their behavior, which I think everybody knows, but it's nice to see it. That, okay, he's really gone through something or this maybe what's causing this reaction, um, the way they're behaving in a certain situation. They can also use it to look at and compare to, okay, I see this section right here doesn't have a rating, but I'm noticing this behavior every single day. And to be able to go to the worker and say, I think we need to update the CANS because I'm noticing this behavior and this isn't something that you have rated on the CANS mm -hmm. because somebody may not have seen it before this child spending 24 hours a day, seven days a week in a foster home. So we really want, we try to empower foster parents to help them know that they can look at it and they also have a voice because they are the ones who spend the vast majority of time with the kids. So it's for information and then for also for them to help the rest of the team understand the child a little bit better. Thank you for saying that because we do know that our foster parents spend most of the time with the child in foster care. So using that cameras can help them advocate for getting some of their needs met. Thank you. Well, Ms. Ryder, and Ms. Horton, thank you both for sharing this information with our listeners. We really appreciate both of you for all your work with the Child and Adolescent Needs and Strength tool. We have a training that we offer it four times a year, and it's a free training. Anyone may attend. It's mostly for our foster parents, it's, and if you're interested, We'd love to have you. You may search in your internet browser for the TNDCS Foster Post Approval Calendar, and you can register for free for that class. And you would get to meet the fantastic Michelle Ryder and Nina Horton, who are CANS experts and can answer your questions <laughs> specifically at that time. Thank you so much, Michelle, and thank you, Nina, for thank being you. here with us today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Mm -hmm. Thank you, listener, for your interest about child welfare. Please join DCS Talks again to hear other subject matter experts discuss ways to advocate for children and build resilient communities.